0: Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guest is the senior editor at The Atlantic and one of the premier journalists in America, the world, Ron Brownstein. And remember, we love taking your questions, so please write to politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to this week's sponsors, the Democracy in Danger podcast, Blinkist, and Magic Spoon in the show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. So please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, James Carville, I don't pretend any expertise on the Ukrainian crisis, but I've spoken with several people who do uh we continue to see the extraordinary courage of the ukrainian leader and the people and the evil duplicity and brutality of vladimir putin the video of russians shooting that family trying to flee was just sickening i think we can agree that biden and the western alliance have responded wisely a kind of a prudent aggressiveness and with near unanimity but james this thing is frightening I, I, there may be an off-ramp for Putin. You know, he keeps those small Russian-dominated provinces in the east, and Crimea, Ukraine, agrees not to join NATO for a specified time, but under the auspices of a UN protection. But I, I experts I talk to doubt Putin would accept that. And if not, there are going to be much more carnage and bloodshed. Bill Burns, uh, I really think the terrific CIA director, maybe the best CIA director we've had in a long time, He anticipates it's going to be, the next few weeks are going to be ugly. And we just can't dismiss the possibility that the United States and NATO could be drawn into this eventually. No. Of course they could.
1: And the one thing is, the Chinese, put out a statement, I think they're getting a little antsy. And one of the things that, Just in the big-game politics aspect, the Chinese are not that excited about the unity between the United States and Western Europe, which has been pretty remarkable. But they're even expressing frustration. I actually... uh, I thought Tom Friedman had a column that I think would... Everybody agrees with where we are. It's not somebody saying, oh, no, it'll work itself out. I mean, uh, or it's not that dangerous. Everybody is appropriately... Petrified at this, and uh, Larry Summers told a friend of mine <clears throat> that these sanctions in forty-eight hours have done more to harm the Russian economy than the housing crisis over the two-year period did to harm our economy. That that's how devastating they are, and it-, it looks like he's just going to reduce these cities to rubble. And I don't think they're going to quit, and you we know what the Germans learned in Stalingrad as they reduced it to rubble, they wanted an advantage because they just the Russians kept fighting
0: from the rubble, <laughs> yeah they couldn't get about an open field. well, we knew you know we knew that about the uh, about the uh, economic consequences we knew how devastating it was. we' have known for a while, and it hadn't affected him seemingly so far
2: well uh, and you, I, you know, know it's, it's you know we wait maybe it, into it.
0: well, maybe it will, but it's been devastating for almost. Ten days, uh, seven days, right. or something—that's that's not new. And I, on China, I, I agree that China doesn't like this, but I don't think it's—it's it's not the way the Chinese operate to say, "Hey, Vladimir, call uh-huh. it off." Now he may ask them to buy X amount of oil or something else, and they may buy you know X minus five and try to send a signal that way. Uh, but I—I I think uh, I, I think to rely on some outside external force here uh-huh. is. Um, is probably a I don't trigger. know what else... I, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me they're to doing it
1: everything that can possibly be done or not, you know, doing everything reasonably possibly done. But I, I, I don't know. And, of course, they're already selling their oil of China at a, at a discount. If it's $125 a barrel, then, I, and then I'll have the thing. They're just selling it at 100 So China's making out like a bandit. They're getting, they're getting a discount on their energy. But... It's it's bad, but I I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't have a. I I agree with you. I don't I don't know what I, I agree with you on Burns. I agree with you on Biden. Uh, you know, can he take? How long can he take this? I don't know. But just bring him more. I, I was delighted to see that McDonald's. I was about to come out of the woodwork. But I was delighted to see that they did the right thing. and you, You're just in it. you just got to keep bringing
0: heat, heat, more heat. I don't know anything else you can do. You know, when the Chinese buy at that discounted price from Russia, it means they're not buying from other countries, you know, uh, principally in the Middle East. So that frees up some oil. But that takes a while. Apparently, I don't understand oil markets, but I saw Dan Jurgen the other night on television. and said, you know, that can't be done overnight. So uh, you know, there there are ways to replenish. I think I think Biden had to cut off Russian oil to to this country. Yeah. The political pressure was so great. So there are ways to replenish that, but it's not going to be done overnight, and there's going to be a price uh, at the pump short term. Yeah. Well, we're at war.
1: I mean, you know, my grandparents and you know they had ration stamps, you know, petrol or sugar or anything else. We're at war. There's no. There's no the other way to describe it. And what war comes – I mean, can you imagine what it's like if you're war to Ukraine? In in Ukraine, I'm sorry, not the Ukraine. Yeah,
0: I it's not the Ukraine. You're right. Right. Uh, but, but it's just – I mean, what war? Well, he, and, and, he will take Kiev, I think, in the next, I don't know, month, certainly. Uh, I don't think they can hold that. But that's not the end. That's hardly the end. He then will have to – he being Putin – uh, we'll have to whatever territories he wants to keep, and I, I, I think he's probably going to not go as far as he planned, just because he can't. I mean, the Russian military has really not, not, not uh, acquitted itself very well here, either in the air or on the ground. And uh, he, he then is going to face um, uh, urban combat. Uh, he's going to face guerrilla warfare, and uh, you know, the, he, he, he won't win in the long run. I don't think. But God, the damage and the carnage and the right. deaths in the short term, or, or the Whatever term it takes, are going to be just god awful. Well, but he's not going to win in the long run, and you know,
1: every you know, he's still traumatized with what happened to the czar. Because I mean, he's not going to his billion dollar place on the Black Sea when he, you know, he, he's he's going to die in office, so they're going to hang him, and he knows that. That's his mm-hmm. only two choices.
0: Well, there's this yacht that's worth somewhere in France. Yeah. Or so $750 million, that's all. It, it if, if you
1: matter. go, uh, Novinsky, uh, what's the guy he put in jail? He did a whole documentary on this billion-dollar house he has. You, know, you can go online to Putin's mansion. Yeah, and it, Like five things in Beverly Hills. But, but, but at any rate, it, it, don't, he, he only has
0: one thing to do, is stay in power. Without that, he's dead, and he knows it. I'll mention another piece that's uh, that's worth a read that's out this week. David Ignatius traveled with General Milley uh, for about four or five days throughout uh, uh, all that area, uh, not just Ukraine and Poland, but uh, also, uh, I think, most of the Baltic countries. And he wrote a long, long piece in the Washington Post uh, that's worth a read. It makes me feel better about Milley. I didn't feel badly about Milley, but it makes me feel better about Milley. So, anyway, uh, we'll be coming back to uh, this, I'm afraid, every every week. Um, let me let me change the subject, James, for a minute. Uh, Bill Barr, the attorney general under Donald Trump, in an effort to salvage his tarnish, that's such an understatement, his tarnage reputation, has published a book. And it was all over NBC. Now, following Charlie Sykes' advice, I did not read the book, and I'm not going to buy the book. But based on interviews and all that garbage on NBC, he paints himself as a stand-up guy who stood up to Trump at the end over the voter fraud issue. James, I'm going to shock you, and I apologize in advance to you and our listeners. Bullshit. It really is. Uh, This is the same bar who traveled to Europe as the attorney general to try to find uh, exculpatory stuff about Trump and the Russians, perhaps to dig up dirt. On Biden, who deceived the public about the Mueller report, who warned about the dangers of Democrats committing voter fraud before the 2020 election. And when he resigned on December 14th, which he presents as some kind of heroic act, uh, he he did it with great praise for Trump, who was in the process, of course, of planning the December 14th, excuse me, the January 6th insurrection. But worst of all, worst of all, maybe a lot of worse here. He says that if Trump were the nominee in 2024, he'd vote for him because that he has to, he'd do anything to stop the left-wing democratic agenda. So this great man a principle says that it's more important to block universal pre-K or a child tax credit or lower drug prices. That's, that's more important than stopping a dangerous president who would ruthlessly run over the rule of law. I am sorry, Bill Barr is a disgrace. There were a few people in that Trump administration who I think served out of a sense of duty. Jim Mattis, Christopher Wray at the FBI. But he wasn't one of them. He's an enabler and he's a fraud, James. Yeah, he's just a clabber ass. I mean, I, I, I'm
1: so unsurprised by any of this. My, my favorite thing is Trump told him not to lose weight because his jaws were so big and he would just hang down. I mean, <laughs> it just, I, I don't... I don't even get remotely exercised about this. It, they're just hard, duplicitous, they're not even conniving. They—they just unattractive people in every way. Yeah, they are. And, and just, that's it. Every, I, I The only—the only thing I would fantasize about is watching Trump and Barr have cheeseburgers for lunch. Boy, that would that, that, be something to watch. See who gets stuffed in face to faces.
0: That would be a, um, that'd be a hefty affair. Um, it would be hefty. It would be they, hefty. Uh, they could weigh in. I'll give him credit on that. His jowls are too big. Get some <laughs> Japanese sumo guys uh, in there on right. that. Uh, you 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 might get a little more exercise, though, about Rick Scott and the Republican agenda for 2023. Yeah,
1: and Ron Johnson wants to uh, repeal Obamacare now, and yeah. Mitch McConnell, he can't stop his candidates from telling the truth. As hard as he tries. yeah. I mean, they just blurt it out. And they go to a, a donor thing, and they hear something, and then they go repeat it to the public. And, and the, the other thing is they really believe that. They really believe that the United States should be about wealthy people making it making and keeping as much money as they possibly can and of course at the bottom of this what, what rick scott is saying that 40 percent of the people in the united states i don't know what the number is pretty high pay no income tax well that's right but they pay every other kind of tax you can think of and as warren buffett points out their next dollar income is tax higher than his next dollar of income it's such a it's such a crock and of course, you know it's at the bottom of it, don't you? It's the same thing. that's at the bottom of everything. Black people. The image is is that we pay an income tax, so they don't have to pay income tax. At 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 the bottom of every debate, you know, you watch a college football game, an NFL game, or whatever, and they have a scrum, a big pile, and you know, they they, they get everybody off, and you wait. what's always at the bottom of the pile? A football. All right. At the bottom of every pile of stock is a black person. That's that's, that's what everything is about. And that's what this is about. What do you think re- repeal Obamacare is about? We paying
0: their health care. It's all about race. I'm sorry, it just is. James, I want you to educate me here. I, I thought I read somewhere was Rick Scott a successful businessman? Uh, yeah, he, and, and uh, you'll be stunned.
1: You know, he didn't build a better mousetrap. He had to pay enormous fines for fleecing Medicare. Fleecing he, Medicare? Medi- he made his money being a Medicare grifter. Wow! Right? Yeah. Wow! Yeah. He, he's a man. He, he's a man that that got rich on the government, and there's a lot of a, a, a lot of shall we say shady dealings going on here.
0: Well, that's Rick Scott, and uh, yeah. Ron, that's exactly it. Ron Johnson is um, well. We know what Ron Johnson is. Ron Johnson's, um, you know, um, I was going to say this side of crazy, but I guess it's the other side. If Ron Johnson survives in Wisconsin, uh, it's going to say something terrible about democracy in America. But any time that you in
1: a check race in the United States, you always got a chance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Ron Brownstein has written more extensively and more perceptively about the challenges to basic rights in America today than anyone else. Someone asked me the other day, who are the three best people I should read, Uh, particularly about voting rights and others? And I said, Brownstein, Brownstein, and Brownstein. That's how good he is. Ron, for half a century, starting in the 60s, there was a continuum, expanding rights for voting, racial equality for women, gay rights, people with disabilities, And you wrote recently at Republican-controlled states, and I want to quote this because you said at breathtaking speed, they are, quote, moving in unprecedented numbers to restrict abortion, limit access to voting, ban books, retrench transgender rights, and constrain teachers' ability to discuss race, gender, and sexual orientation in public schools and now in public colleges. This is really rolling back to a darker earlier era, isn't it?
2: Yes. Look, Alf, first of all, thank you for having me. I think the magnitude of what's happening Is not fully appreciated because we have, for understandable reason, focused on each individual lane or path of these fights the the battle over abortion rights, the battle over voting rights, the restrictions on LGBTQ rights, uh, the restrictions on uh, uh, First Amendment rights of teachers and students of the kind that are uh, on display uh, right now in Florida with the passage of the Don't Say Gay Bill and another. Bill, quote, the Stop Woke Act, uh, limits on the ability to protest, um, uh, immunizing drivers who hit protesters. There are so many fronts uh, on which this is being fought out and it is being fought out simultaneously in so many states. Uh, 23 states have unified Republican control of government, and some or most of these ideas are advancing uh, in a majority of those states. I, I think I think in in every state, at least some of them are advancing. So you know, there's a lot coming at us in terms of these extraordinary pitch battles that are going on in roughly half the states. That it's possible to lose sight of the big picture and the. Big Big picture is what you just mentioned is that since the 60s since the rights revolution of the 60s um, the general trajectory has been to expand the number of rights that are available nationwide to all citizens no matter where they live. Everything from the end of segregation uh, through the Civil Rights Acts of the 60s and the Voting Rights Act um, to the right to privacy in Griswold in 65 and Roe v. Wade, the right to abortion, striking down bans on interracial marriage. The general trend has been to reduce the variation in the uh, the civil rights and civil liberties available to all Americans and to create a more robust national floor on all of these fronts. And what we are seeing, I think, is that with the support of the Republican appointed justices on the Supreme Court and critical air defense, as we'll talk about, being uh, uh, provided by Republicans wielding the filibuster in the Senate, we are seeing a concerted effort in the red states to unravel that 60-year movement and move us back ...to a pre-1960s world where your basic rights and liberties varied much more depending on where you live... ...and states had much more freedom and leeway to constrict uh, the rights that that their citizens hold.
0: Ron, let's just uh, focus on voting for one one question here. Uh, These restrictions are really playing off Trump's lie... That yes. there was massive fraud that cost in the election. It's an absolute certifiable lie. It's the only reason you know, they're, they're doing it. They're doing it so they can win elections or make it harder for Democrats as, as more states pass, uh, pass these restrictive laws. Do you have any sense of what difference it'll make? There was one test already, Texas. What, did we learn anything from that? And can you extrapolate anything uh, for other states like Georgia, Florida, and elsewhere?
2: Yeah, well, first I would say, you know, obviously the Brennan Center is the best at at keeping track of this. 19 states passed laws in 2021, making it harder to vote. And obviously we're not done yet. Uh, There are more uh, measures advancing in 2022, including, for example, in Florida, the creation of this uh, election security bureau, kind of a private police force for DeSantis uh, on these issues. Um, I would say, Al, that uh, while the um, uh, Trump, you know, the big lie, the claims of fraud in the 2020 election were was the immediate trigger. Uh, this is larger than that. I mean, I think you are seeing many of these measures move forward in states where you have a very distinct political dynamic, where Republicans now have the upper hand based on their dominance among particularly older and non-urban, uh, culturally conservative white voters. And they are looking at a demographic reality that, that, that has the potential to change the balance of power in those states, places like Texas, Florida, Georgia, Arizona, half or more of everybody turning 18 every year are kids of color. And I I look at these laws as, in effect, stacking sandbags against that rising tide of demographic change to sort of push back the day in which those groups uh, can exert more influence over the direction of the state look there is a lot of dispute about how effective you know quote effective or uh, you know these 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 restrictions are and and political scientists disagree uh, about whether Uh, they will have a massive effect in changing the electorate. Certainly in Texas, uh, the absentee voting uh, uh, disqualifications that we saw in the primary are pretty ominous. And I think in many of these states, whether we're talking about Arizona uh, or Georgia, uh, even Florida in the past, less so maybe now, we're talking about states that that are operating on very narrow margins of uh, balance of power between the parties, right? So it, it doesn't need a massive impact uh, to, to to have an effect, and and certainly to, to borrow the the phrase of the court a few years ago in North Carolina, we are talking about laws that were passed with surgical precision. To uh, invalidate measures that were being taken to increase access, particularly in democratic-leaning urban areas, you know, specifically barring the kind of mobile voting uh, efforts that they had in Fulton County in Georgia, or the twenty-four hour voting that they had in Harris County uh, in 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 Houston. I mean, this th- these are the drop these boxes. Are, drop boxes. I mean, these are measures that are very clearly targeted toward the places where Democrats see the opportunity for growing strength and in some cases still need to increase turnout right i mean they they still need to get more of those voters out and 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 it's clearly aimed at particularly at young people people of color and i think it is it is largely about pushing back the day at which those demographic changes uh, ultimately produce political changes in these states.
0: And as you said, it is largely about race on on a lot of these, voting, critical race theory. uh, I mean, they really are, and they're doing it more subtly uh, than the old uh, uh, Southern segs did uh, 50 years ago. But it really is about race at the core, isn't
2: it? Yeah, absolutely. And on many of these fronts. It's really I – mean, if you look at the broad range of what we're talking about, if you include abortion, voting, censorship in the classroom, book bans, LGBTQ rights, limits on protests, um, uh, and, and uh, the don't say gay bills, you could say that it is really about the changing America. Like in all of these ways, it is about – red states where you have a Republican coalition rooted in the most culturally conservative parts of the states are looking to uh, enshrine those values against not only the priorities, but also the experiences of younger generations. I mean, if you look at Generation Z on a nationwide basis, half are kids of color, one-fifth in Gallup polling now identify as somewhere in the LGBTQ spectrum. Uh, and more than one-third say they are they are secular. So, in many ways, what we're talking about is kind of consecrating uh the views, the, the social views on all of these fronts of an older, culturally conservative generation uh against. Uh, what is emerging as, as I say, not only the values, but the experiences uh, of these of these younger groups. And, and, and it's really important to see how all of this fits together. You know, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago about looking, you know, that many of the states that are imposing the voter restrictions are also imposing the restrictions on the classroom teaching of race. And, you know, I, people argue to me, I think persuasively, that one, the voting restrictions are about changing the composition of the electorate today and the education restrictions are about changing the attitudes of the uh, electorate of tomorrow. I mean, these bills are often presented as trying to protect quote, the feelings essentially of white kids who should not be made to feel guilty uh, about uh, America's racial history. But we're talking about states where clear majorities of the public school systems are kids of color. And it seems to me the real goal of these bills is not so much to protect white kids as it is to shape the understanding of non-white kids about the country they're growing up in uh, and thus to influence uh, how they, you know, what they perceive as problems and what they perceive as requirements for the political system to address once they reach the age where they become voters. James.
1: i just make a comment because I, then I have a question. People said, well, you making kids, you know, white kids feel uncomfortable about slavery in the Holocaust. Well, they ought to feel uncomfortable about it. There's nothing to feel comfortable about Okay? I want my kids to be, like, uncomfortable about it. It's not, you can argue that, well, they, it's not their fault, but they sure the hell need to know about it and need to understand it. In the idea that you can educate, somebody can graduate from high school in the United States and not be educated in slavery or the Holocaust or any, you know, the, the yeah. you know, the, what we did to Native Americans, is just insane. It's just insane. How could you be educated and not know that? But I'll I'll, I'll move on because I'm going to ask you about something else. This drives me crazy. Well, you know, James, uh, all right, we got our crazies. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bolton or or whatever. You know, even Trump, I I like his policies, but I I don't like all the tweets and everything else. But but you got to admit you got your crazies. All right, come on. You got AOC or blah, blah, blah. the thing that drives me nuts, and I, I think I'm right on this, the number, relative number of their influence in the Democratic Party is one-tenth of the influence that the, the Trump crazy right has in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Then the only thing they can do is win a primary in, in New York City or Boston or Detroit. I mean, they don't even conti- They never run against an, an, a Republican. They just run against other Democrats. Mm-hmm. Why do we pay the same price for, I don't know, twelve fifteen percent of our party that they pay for sixty five seven percent of their party?
2: It's not. It's not In fact, you, the Democrats pay a higher price for the twelve fifteen than than Republicans do for the sixty five. I would say. And what look, uh, you know, it, it was myopic and stupid and self absorbed for the San Francisco school board to focus on renaming schools instead of opening them. But if you look at the amount of attention that received versus 13 states, 13 states that in 2021 took step to censor how teachers can talk about race. And now it continues to roll on in 2022. You know, as we are talking, literally as we are talking, Florida is about to pass a bill that will r- r- uh, restrict how teachers can talk about race, uh, and also not only teachers, but how companies can talk about race and racial equity in diversity training. And 24 hours before we talked, Florida passed the Don't Say Gay Bill, restricting how schools can talk about sexual orientation. One of, you know, this is a question that I usually ask to political strategists and I think has become more relevant as the magnitude of what is happening in the red states, including absolute ban on abortions and vigilante the authorization of vigilante lawsuits on abortion or on the Don't Say Gay Bill, and all of these restrictions LGBTQ uh, youth, including Greg Abbott saying it's child abuse if a parent wants to authorize treatment for their own kid. Um, As all of this is happening, I have asked many people the question you just asked me. Why is it that Republicans have been successful at tarring a broad range of Democrats with a broad range of views, tarring them with the views of the most, the ideologically extreme or vanguard members of their party. And yet Democrats have either made less effort or had less success at associating the broad range of Republicans with the most extreme views in their party, whether it's Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, on the, you know, on the uh, insurrection and attack, or it's Texas saying it is child abuse for a parent to decide on medical care for their own kids and, and and banning abortion. I can't answer that, but I do think it is a significant disparity in our politics where you see Republicans everywhere running ads, you know, basically saying whatever Democrat is a San Francisco or New York crazy liberal, and you do not see anywhere near the effort, comparable effort on the part of Democrats to say, Republicans are the party of abortion bans, Taking away transgender kids from their parents um, and uh, eliminating licensing requirements for people who want to openly carry guns. I mean, th- it just doesn't happen. It really is, James, as you point out, a um, you know a one-way, a one-way street there.
1: You know, and, and I've got a new kind of resolution. I, I, I've spoken out against this, and people say, "Wow, and what, what I've learned is these people have no power. They can't cancel anything, All right, Nothing. They have no power. don't. They they won't, but I'm going to stop doing that because even though I, I, I believe I'm 100 – and by the way, the San Francisco School Board got mm-hmm. recalled by like 73 to 27, mm-hmm. which gives you a good example of how much power they have. Led by some liberals I, trying I think, to recall too. Right. right. I, I, of course I, I, I believe I'm 100 percent correct in my observations, but I'm just going to stop making them because they're really not even that influential. And they're going to get beat in these primary – with they influential in foundations, the influential in newsrooms, they influential at universities. They're not particularly influential at the ballot box.
2: Okay, okay. And, and, Yo, can no, I ask yeah. something there? You know, as you know, I have been covering the internal – Battle between liberals and centrists in the Democratic parties since the 1980s. I mean, I literally covered the founding, as Al did too, I'm sure, of the Democratic Leadership Council in 1985. And these have been important and worthwhile debates, certainly. Bill Clinton, you know, in the, in the three elections of the 80s, 80, 84, 88, Democrats won the smallest share of the available Electoral College votes that they would won in any three elections since the formation of the modern party system in 1828. So what Bill Clinton did to reposition and re- not only reposition, but to rethink the party agenda on a whole series of fronts uh, made a lot of sense in the late 80s. And early 90s, and there are legitimate criticisms uh, that can be made of uh, the way Democrats, you know, some Democrats, are kind of the vanguard of the party, have approached these issues. But I do wonder if we, if if we are seeing uh, some of the the centrist Democrats now miss the forest for the trees, because you know, uh, w- when you look at what is happening on campuses or uh, in San Francisco, it's really hard to compare that as a threat to basic civil rights and liberties, to what is happening in the red states, which is, which is so much more uh, sweeping and fundamental. You know, our mutual friends Bill Galston and Elaine Kamark updated their seminal paper from 1989. You know, they wrote The New Politics of Evasion the other day, criticizing kind of the left and the Democratic Party. I didn't disagree with a lot in what they wrote, but I found myself wondering why they didn't write The New Politics of Repression. Because, like, like th- yes, there's there's kind of yes. like an instinct on the part of the centrist. Like, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel well, I feel like in the last year that what I am watching is is a version of the joke. You know, where 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 a guy finds a drunk looking for his keys under the light, uh, under the streetlight, and he says, you know, why, well, well, you know, where did you drop them? And he said, well, somewhere up the block, but the light's better over here. You know, so I kind of feel like that's what I'm watching a little bit where for for centrist democrats they know how to criticize the left of the party it's something they know how to do and they are justified at times in doing but i have not seen the same kind of urgency in calling out the magnitude of what's happening in this rollback of rights that I think is really a reversal of 60, the current of 60 years of American history, and is going to put us in a position, uh, you know, very quickly, potentially, in which, uh, particularly with the kind of uh, blessing of, of this Supreme Court, that, you know, what democracy and civil rights look like in Texas is going to be very different than what it looks like in New York uh, or or Oregon or Washington or California. And that seems to me a a clear and a, a dramatic change in kind of the fabric of American life. By the way, I do think that Biden, after initially downplaying these issues because he wanted to stress, unlike Trump, how he was willing to work with governors of both parties, they clearly have changed their tone. And if you listen to the State of the Union, he called out the states on abortion voting uh, and LGBTQ issues. He put out really strong statements on the Don't Say Gay bill and on Abbott's directive. Uh, they are leaning into this much more than they were earlier. But we I don't think we've seen kind of a party-wide response among Democrats. So
1: I, I'm, I'm trying real quick back to Al because you're making the point uh, – I. It, it, you know, people say, "Well, you're a moderate Democrat." No, I'm not. I'm a liberal Democrat by by any any test you take, from progressive income to you know infrastructure spending to climate to, to anything else. But I consider myself pretty liberal. But but I think the and you're right. In Bill and Elaine, I think myself it is they're so easy because they're so kind of pathetic and weak. The the, the the crazy part of the Republican Party is neither pathetic or weak. Right. right. All right? <laughs> it, it, it people say, well, what you say is controversial. It's, well, nothing is controversial when 95% of people agree with you. That's not controversial. It's not controversial to say that the, the school board in, in San Francisco is goofy. They got 25%, all right? But, but I, I I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you made these remarks. And I, I'm really rethinking the way... That I'm going to talk about American politics because it be, part of being a good liberal
2: Democrat is you don't pick on the weak. Well, you, know what, really, you okay. Jay, know what really underscores your point is how fast all of these ideas are migrating from state to state. I mean this is not a fringe that is, you know, finding a beachhead right. in one state. Right. We're talking – Uh, Whether it's abortion, the LGBTQ, or the censorship and book banning bills, they are moving with incredible speed. And it is it is highly likely that a majority, there are 23 states where Republicans have unified control of government. It is likely that by the end of this legislative session, we will see a majority of them uh, acting on, on most of these, on many of these fronts. I mean, it is, you know, it, 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 Iowa Iowa passes the LGBTQ uh, ban on trans, the day after, by the way, the governor gave her a response to the State of the Union, never mentioned it. She signed it the next day, right? um south dakota uh arizona is now considering it we mentioned that florida is just having a frenzy uh, a a kind of a a spasm of these bills that are passing in the final days of their session uh which which is which is ending uh in march um one one other quick point and i'm sorry i'll to to filibuster here but one other quick point you're not filibustering it's really striking if you go back maybe the opening bell for what we are seeing was the bathroom bill in North Carolina in 2016. And there was a meaningful corporate pushback on that, uh, which was not only signing letters, but multiple companies saying they were sending plans to invest in the state, all sorts of artists and
0: and and, and Ron Athletic pushback, I Mike Kraszewski and others. Yeah.
2: yeah, well, also, well, you know, Bruce Springsteen, Pearl Jam, Ringo Starr, right, others canceled. Right, that. but the right. biggest one of all in North Carolina, where they where they bleed basketball, was the NCAA moved all championship events out of the state, and the NBA pulled its All Star game out of the state. We're not seeing anything like that. In in this way, I mean, Tennessee passed five uh, anti-LGBTQ bills last year, including their own bathroom bill, including the "Don't Say Gay" bill that's getting so much attention now, including uh, uh, limits on uh, uh, care for minors, um, uh, and the and the athletic ban, and you know, basically nothing happened. A couple people signed a letter, Uh, Disney refused to, you know, which gotten a lot of attention. Uh, Disney refused to publicly criticize the don't say gay bill in Florida where it has a little bit of influence. Um, and I think they are literally, as we are talking, again, as we are talking, uh, they are retreating. The, the the CEO on a shareholder call today said now that he is going to raise objections with the governor. Uh, of course, after it's already passed the legislature as of yesterday. Um, but business is largely stepping out of this fight. You know, you felt like in the North Carolina, and then similarly, business blocked a, a, a similar bill in Texas in 2017. They fought a number of socially conservative bills in Georgia, where Disney was at the forefront because of their Marvel uh, movie filming uh, there. Um, business was essentially saying, look, these diverse younger generations, as I said, Gen Z, half non-white one fifth LGBTQ, one third secular. These generations are our future workers and consumers, and we kind of have to stay on the right side of them. That was a calculation they made in the second half of the 2010s. But this time around, with all of this happening at once, much more, more threat, much less reaction from business and more overt threat From Republican elected officials like Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor in Texas, when businesses do kind of raise their head up, and for example, American Airlines criticized their voting bill last year, he he gave a speech and said, well, then, you know, everything else you care about is now going to be at risk. So the fact that business is kind of walking back off the battlefield is another reason why these things are advancing so quickly in so many places.
0: Ron, you are so right. And Judd Legum is the one that really chronicles yes. their hypocrisy on this. It's just a, it's it's terrific to read him. And and you know I I was I was was wrong. I thought six months ago when this stuff started, there really would be corporate pressure, would be athletic pressure. They have totally capitulated. And the only way you're going to bring pressure is if there's pressure on those companies and those athletic uh, uh, associations. And uh, you know some of those companies have employees who don't want to live in places that have these rules, but they. Aren't bringing that kind of pressure, but you know, once again, let me let me just ask you a question about the courts which you referred to, particularly the Supreme Court. I, I don't know if this is right or not, and Column, you know, doesn't have a lot of readers, but I now refer to it as a Republican Supreme Court, which I never did before. And I really think it is a, a a deeply partisan Supreme Court now. I would exempt the chief justice. I don't think James would necessarily agree with me. But I think those other five members, Sam Alito is the leader of that partisan pack. And you just look recently where he really wanted to, when it came to an Alabama redistricting, he said, no, no, it's too close to the election. You know, leave that mm. alone. When North Carolina came up there with a the court order one, he wanted to take that up because it would have helped Republicans if they had had, had knocked it down. I really think the partisanship of this Supreme
2: Court is is greater than any time, at least in my lifetime. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. Um, I think that the um, you know the way th- to, to understand what the Supreme Court is doing, you have to talk about the Republican appointed justices as opposed to the Democratic appointed justices. There's no way, other way, to accurately convey. To readers, what is happening? And and as I wrote in the Atlantic a few weeks ago, we are. I mean, I think we are seeing an axis here that is working to roll back the rights revolution of the past sixty years. I mean, you you have the Supreme Court. You, you the, the red the Supreme Court uh, is giving the red states more leeway to act. The the Shelby County decision in twenty thirteen and the Burnovich decision last year uh, have right. rolled back federal. Uh, 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 oversight of voting laws in the states. Uh, on the Mississippi case, they seem poised to roll back uh, the uh, national right to abortion. Uh, so the Supreme Court, um, and, and potentially I think we will see eventually the Supreme Court is gonna have to decide uh, cases involving uh, many of these other laws, the LGBTQ restrictions, uh, the classroom censorship bills, the book banning bills, all of them are facing legal challenge that eventually points toward the Supreme Court. So, But by and large, so far, the Republican majority on the Supreme Court is uh, opening the door. Red states are then running through the door and passing new restrictions on the whole variety of areas that we've talked about. And then the third piece, the third leg of this axis that I wrote about is the Republicans in the Senate. Because The House, the one tool that Democrats really have to respond to this, they don't have majorities in these state legislatures, they don't have the governorship, Um, it's going to be very hard for them to win many cases at the Supreme Court with this six-member Republican majority. The one lever they currently have is that they have unified control of government, the House and the Senate and uh, and the White House, at least on paper. And, and that means they can theoretically pass laws establishing a new national floor of rights that supersedes many of the things that the red states are doing. The House has done exactly that, not only on voting, but also on abortion rights, and on LGBTQ rights, they passed legislation that would undo what much much of what is happening in the states and reestablish a nationwide floor of rights. And in each case, that law has been blocked by a Republican filibuster. Uh, those, those provisions have been blocked by a Republican filibuster uh, in, the, in the Senate. So you basically have an axis of uh, the red states kind of pushing forward, and this may be an unfortunate analogy in light of current events, but red states are kind of pushing forward with this ground offensive And they're getting air cover from the Republicans on the Supreme Court and Republicans in the Senate. And there is no clear, uh, I think, strategy for Democrats that can prevent what we are seeing, this kind of cumulative move in the red states to unravel the rights revolution. Um, And the only real strategy uh, that may be available to them is what you just mentioned, Al, more public pressure that creates more corporate and institutional pressure uh, on the states moving in this direction.
0: Ron, one qu- I want you to put your political cap on because, in addition to everything else, you were you know, as, as great a political reporter as there is in America. Will the the Russia-Ukraine thing changes global geopolitics? I mean, it's it's it's
2: not going to be the same. Does it change domestic American politics also? Well, uh, if it if it improves Biden's approval rating, it does, right? I mean, Biden, uh, as James knows better than than has lived through it. Uh, attitudes toward the president are really becoming more and more powerful in shaping down ballot down ballot races right so it's now routine in the exit polls for eighty five percent of people who approve of a president to vote for his party's candidates in the house elections and eighty five to ninety percent of the disapprovers to vote against his party's candidates has been true for presidents of both parties for trump and w as well as obama uh and and clinton so if if Biden, I think, almost universally, is getting praise for handling this far better than he did Afghanistan. He he's been much closer to the president that he promised Americans that he would be, kind of the seasoned elder statesman, bringing together the the Western world uh, to stand up to these uh, threats to the global order. Um, and if it improves his approval rating, uh, it, Democrats will, I think, unequivocally benefit. I mean, if if he's at 45 or 46 in November, which may be realistically all that he could aspire to, um, that is a much better circumstance for them than if he's at 39 or 40. The countervailing force, of course, is that this is going to mean really high gas prices. And whatever right. Americans say about their willingness to uh, accept gas prices as, as as our modern equivalent of Liberty Bonds, um, you know, our modern analog to Liberty Bonds, I don't know. I mean, if you're p- spending $100 to fuel up your car, you're probably not going to feel very well disposed uh, toward the toward the president. So I think that that is a you know that is a big challenge. But anything that lifts Biden helps Democrats because they. I, I think if he cannot recover at least some of the ground he has lost, particularly among independents, whereas I wrote this week, his approval rating is now nearing the low point that Obama or Trump ever reached among independents, um, it, he has to do a little better for them to even have a fighting chance in November. James? So, this is
1: sacrilegious to say this, but I'll say it. The, to the extent that the pro-choice choice groups... They they don't get anything done. All right. The attitudes in the United States toward abortion rights have been overwhelmingly in favor of and steady. Mm -hmm. The row is a plus 70% polling Mm -hmm. thing. All right. And the the pro life people are just at every level on the state level and the courts and every way you can that are just beating the crap out of the pro, pro choice people. And it's always this thing. You just wait and see. The women in Northern Virginia and suburban New Jersey are going to come up in arms. Well, so the Supreme Court, they have the thing that they're, they're in chambers and somebody says, well, you're just going to – you're going to really activate you know, – they've never been activated before. Yeah. They're, they're all they're good for is raising money and spending their money in Washington and getting – it, it, I don't understand it. They're getting the living crap and women of, women of America are getting the living crap beat out of them. And uh, we go on cable
2: TV and talk about it, but don't do anything. Well, there, there's a whole bunch of things I, I, I think are relevant, James, to, to your point. First, um, you know, attitudes on abortion are not that different among women and men in America. It's not like many more women are pro-choice and many more men are pro-life. It, it, it's roughly it's roughly similar uh, across both genders. And, and, it, and it probably has less to do with gender than it does the broader set of cultural attitudes about a changing America. Um, you know, there are a lot of culturally conservative white women in particular um, who uh, are either pro, you know, anti-abortion, pro-life and or uh, unwilling to vote Democratic um, uh, even if they are pro-choice because they disagree with the party on so many other cultural issues. And those voters are extreme, as, I, as I've written, I mean, those voters are extremely important to the Republican dominance of many of the states that are banning and severely restricting abortion. I mean, you know, if, if there was, if, if white women in... Alabama, Texas, Mississippi voted more like white women in Colorado, Connecticut, and New Jersey. It would be Iowa. It would be harder for uh, the states to pass these um, to pass these laws. And and so it is not kind of a silver bullet or a, or an um, all powerful lever. Um, having said that, you know if, if we look back. 25 years ago to now, there's no question that Democrats are winning something between 10 and 12 points more among college white women than they used to, right? I mean that 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 that, that that's uh, that's right, changed, right. and they are you know more socially liberal. But you know, Democrats share the vote among non-college white women and evangelical white women uh, is declining. And again, for for I think for many of those women, many of them are pro-life, uh, and even if they're not. Uh, they, on a broader sense, are part of the co- what I call the coalition of restoration—the voters who are most uneasy with the way America is changing culturally—and um, are, are, are moving are moving toward Republicans. You know, it's interesting. You know, to your to your to your criticism of, of the um, anti-abortion groups that. Their, their comeback would be that Democratic candidates don't want to run on this stuff. they want to, they want to run on pre-existing conditions and preserving the ACA and the minimum right. wage. They don't want to engage, they don't want to push back on the culture war that Republicans are uh, if it's, I think, I think in the red States you have no choice. I mean what's happening is such an onslaught that they really are there is no place for kind of non-combatants. but I think that their critique would be that Democrats won't engage on abortion even though it's a two to one national issue. <laughs> I'm gonna turn it back now. People are conflicted on a
1: question of abortion. That is the wrong mm-hmm. question. The right question yeah. is Roe, and, and that's two right? to one. Roe is over seventy percent. Yeah, 70%. yeah, right. that's seventy percent, right? Okay. Once you get into well, it should be most times, sometimes, you know, six, you know, ten weeks, six months. People are conflicted. What they're not particularly
2: conflicted about is Roe. All right, but let's stay. Let's stay. Let's stay Every on time. this point, though, because. Uh, Because, I mean, certainly there is a widespread view in the Democratic Party that they cannot win any cultural, any time you're talking about any cultural issue, even one where you're two to one, you're losing and you're better off talking about building bridges and writing checks, you know, child tax credit and protecting health care. I mean, there is a big chunk of the Democratic Party that simply has not wanted to engage as Republicans have used these cultural wedge issues to sharpen, you know, the the, the division of the electorate along lines of cultural values. Right, James? Oh, uh, uh, back to you. I, I, I think I can be
1: for LBGQ plus rights and I can be for the minimum yeah. wage. All right. I, I think I, I, I can be for Roe and I can be concerned about climate. I I, I I just do. I think I actually think it's possible, and I think there's a a way to talk about them. But I, again, a I comeback is once you engage in a debate on abortion, you're you're probably not in the best territory you can be. Once the debate is about Roe, you're on pre, you're on very high ground
0: uh right. ron brownstein exactly we know. could go and on for hours you are so Perfect. informative I'll learn. i mean so, I'll learn this is just uh, you know one. i follow this stuff fairly closely and every time you're on i learn so much i'm just jotting down notes <laughs> and jotting down notes because i'm going to steal every right. one of your brilliant thoughts if i can <laughs> but no <laughs> your, I, I
2: really i <laughs> no, they're worth what you paid for them but thank you al
0: no they're worth a whole lot thank you uh hug to your wife and uh, you know yeah. we're gonna, we're gonna uh, you, You've been a regular on this podcast ever since we started uh, not, uh, look, two and a half I mean, years there, ago. There's a,
2: there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom on the other side of the microphone. So I'm happy to be, be around it. <laughs> <laughs> I about <remember> that. Terrific. <laughs> All right. Take care. Uh, and right, we'll be in touch. We soon. Appreciate
1: you so much. I, I i I, I, this is educational for
2: James Carville. Just Lifetime well, I, 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 I <laughs> so just say I will just say on the way out the door again that the magnitude of what's happening I don't think is being fully... Appreciated, And I think the right. the, the, the links, the, the fundamental, you know, the fundamental thread running through all of this is an attempt to reverse the rights revolution and to impose the values of one generation on the experiences of a rising generation. And it is it is a formula for, I think, just intensifying social and political conflict through the 2020s. Well, that's what you captured
0: so brilliantly in The Atlantic and today.
2: Thanks, guys. Thank you. You're very
1: really informed. Thank you.
0: All right, James, now we go to the great questions we get from our listeners uh, out there. And uh, sometimes we give good answers, I think. Uh, We have a number this week on both uh, gas prices, the economy, and a lot, understandably, on Russia and Ukraine. Leslie in in Oakland, California, says Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is exercising his diplomatic muscles quite a bit lately. What's your assessment of the job he's been doing, James? Well, I I think you and I concur
1: that the whole Outfit from you know the president on down is is doing as of this moment a a, a really remarkable job and you're right about the CIA director I mean and Blinken is a very seasoned diplomat I mean it it this it, it, be very early we might not even be to the bottom of the first inning yet but, but I mean so far it's been a pretty impressive across the board response. I mean, what I'd say, and I'm sure that they noticed cause
0: they have lived in this world is you know, there's a long way to go, <laughs> you know, and you, uh, I agree you, totally. I think he's done probably. a very impressive job. He's a very impressive guy. He's a very good guy and a uh, right. very decent guy. And uh, I think he's, right. but uh,
1: but he's doing it. He, he, he in addition to that, his decency and everything else, he he's displaying, you know, unbelievable competence. And I, I, my
0: only hope is is that he just he just got to pace himself because there's a long way to go here. Boy, there sure is. Next question comes from Bob in Montclair, New Jersey, who says mm. gas prices are front and center. He, he has an idea. What if the federal government would eliminate the gas tax worth 18 uh, cents a gallon, I guess, along with reimbursing states for eliminating their taxes per gallon, uh, which range from Alaska to Pennsylvania. He says, that could significantly lower the price of the pump by as much as 76 cents. What do you think? Bob, that's a terrible idea. That's a terrible idea. Number one, gas tax pays for a lot of needed improvements. Actually, if I had a wand, a magic wand, you can't do this, I know, politically, I would raise the gasoline tax by, I don't know, 30, 40 cents right now. And I would make sure every proceed you got from that was rebated to A, farmers, truckers, people making under $100,000 or anybody who can show a hardship. It would it would be good for conservation. It would be good for energy policy, and it would be good all around. It's not going to happen, but no, we cannot eliminate the gas tax. I'm- I disagree. I don't think we're to raise the gas tax right now.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I know that's that's. I, I know you do, and that that's the the favorite policy prescription of of certain people i just don't I, first of all if I, I wish somebody would do it because they, they'd give her a chance to vote against it i mean that's i mean gas prices are just kill it i, I understand but it, it 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 would not only is it not gonna work it, 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 it's don't even think about it and i hope nobody even thinks about saying anything like that it, uh look the in they're bad and you know it, it seems to me and most people they're going to get worse i mean you're more they've gone up 75 cents a gallon since uh you know he invaded uh ukraine so but uh, you know hopefully maybe we can get some relief in in other ways i mean it, it release some of the strategic petroleum reserve I, I i think it's something that we're kind of stuck with right now but i, I would not even marginally consider raising a gas tax.
0: Well, I, you know, it's not going to happen. It, w- it would be. It would pro- but- probably be a good policy. It'd be politically disastrous. Uh, but Bob, you can't, you can't eliminate. It. And I just remind everyone out there, it's not the government, it's not Biden that determines uh, oil, gasoline prices, home heating prices. It's the private sector that does that. Uh, I mean, we don't. You know, the government doesn't control oil prices. But in any event. This is a good one. I like uh James cuz I like the name and I like the place. Hope I get the place right. It's from Kai in Ponchatoula, Louisiana. That's in Tensas Parish. That's where uh that's the same Parish that uh,
1: Governor John Bell Edwards and uh Kim Mulkey is from.
0: Well, it's a parish with a great a great tradition then, and yeah. Kai you got a great you got a great name.
1: Uh, yeah. and
0: Kai wants to know which specific pieces of legislation can the Democrats passed before the midterms. You know,
1: there's some rumbling that there's some still things they could do. I mean, you never know with Mansion, but he's starting to rumble around a little bit. Yeah, he is. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too far out there, but you know, none of this is over, and the, it seems like the world equation is changing fast, and I think maybe, the, I'm hoping the political equation in the United States ain't what, so you know, let's hang in there. We could get a few more things done here before we go before we go to the bit terms.
0: Yeah, well, I think I think I think it's possible, and they ought to scale back their ambitions and um, and and take what they can get. Uh, By the way, the Ponchatoula girls, I think, just
1: won the state basketball championship. I thought I saw that in the paper, but and it, but Ponchatoula is uh, best known in, in this part of the world. They, they have a terrific strawberry crop there. It's, it's very limited. Uh, in its distribution,
0: but everybody down here loves Louisiana strawberries in the springtime. Well, if we're going to brag about girls' basketball, I want to point out that my kids' alma mater... The Sidwell Friends School, which people think of as the, the elite she home of uh, the president's kids. The Clinton daughter went there. The Obama daughters went there. Nixon's kids actually went there. The Sidwell Friends Girls basketball team, James, is not just the best in Washington, D.C. They are the best in America, the best in the country. And they are led by a, 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 a Miss Rice who is the niece uh, of um, the um, uh, Marion, White House. Pardon me?
1: Is she Marion Edelman,
0: Wright's niece? No, no, no. She's oh. Susan Rice's niece. Oh, Rice, Rice. Okay. Uh, Rice, Susan Rice, and she's going to UCLA. So that's a bit of bragging about Sidwell Friends, a basketball powerhouse. I'm sure they don't recruit either. It's just the
1: fall of the luck. I mean, he would not they would not compete against these these public schools and like go give these, you know, elite basketball players scholarships. They'd never do that. It's quake, they're Quakers.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Of course not, uh, John in Chicago asks if the Disclose Act of 2021 would that help American voters understand who is behind the massive uptick in dark money and political spending. Of course it would, John. And there's one reason you can't get it passed. You know what it is? Actually, you know, I'll give you. I'll give you two words: Mitch McConnell. And when the Supreme Court handed down their outrageous Citizens United case that opened the special interest money spigots. Uh, and everything else, they specifically said, well, there's no problem because we'll have transparency. Disclosure is there. And McConnell used to say, we don't need campaign finance reform because we have disclosure. The minute that happened, he cracked down on any disclosure. So uh, I cannot, there is no case whatsoever for Americans not to know who is contributing to their elected representatives and the special interests. But uh, you can ask Mitch McConnell why he thinks uh, that's un-American. I think the person that
1: knows the most about this in the country is our friend Jane Mayer, and we we'll to try to get on the show sometimes here in the next couple of three months and talk about dog money. But I mean, she she knows it back and she wrote a book on it. I,
0: anything that Jane
1: has written, I, I highly recommend it. On. I this never time
0: seen people. anything, used to work with her, and never seen anything she's written that wasn't great. So I agree. We want to get her on the show. We yeah, will. She's awesome. James, I'm going to combine two questions uh, to you. One is from Andrew in Los Angeles who says we've all suspected the Trump organization has been a major money launderer for the Russians. With these sanctions, the oligarchs uh, uh, under under scrutiny now, is it going to affect any of the Trump real estate business? Or are they going to get caught? And Woody in Carson City asked simply, could you explain, James, why you're so optimistic about Trump being in, in, indicted? He said he's skeptical. He needs a ray of light. I, I guess the reason that I'm kind
1: of optimistic is he's such a criminal, and there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, it, it was the, the Manhattan stuff was disappointing in the fact that these two highly experienced prosecutors quit and said they had a case, and the incoming DA showed no interest in it. it was distressing, but there's a, a a lot of stuff out there. Uh, uh, in the, I think the January 6th people are finding out stuff that's going to just blow the socks off of you. I, I just can feel that coming. I mean, they're finding out stuff like you wouldn't believe. So I still am optimistic. If you can't, if he doesn't get indicted, then we're not a nation of laws anymore. I'm sorry. I, I mean, in... in if if why do these two highly experienced people believe that that you know that they was and he who is not nearly as experienced as they are say no. I, I uh, you know, I, I, I have I, I don't wanna I don't wanna libel anybody, but let's just say I, I have my suspicions.
0: Okay. Uh Karen in Lake Orion, Michigan. Lake Orion, Michigan. That I'll bet you I that's know what it that is. is. It's got to be up in the north, doesn't? It got to you know, be it has to be. Uh, said so there's so many beautiful places in that state of Michigan. it really is. Why isn't the United States and NATO bombarding Russians with information about what's really going on? Russia has been bombarding the West with disinformation for years with all the technology. why can't we do the reverse? You know, Karen, we are. I think the one thing that we have done among the things we've done very well is the information war. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's harder to penetrate the Russians, but we're getting there. Uh, and I think uh, they've made a decision to be much more open, much more transparent with intelligence. Uh, I think it's been successful. Uh, and I think we are aware that this is an information war uh, in, in addition to everything else. And I give us credit so far. Yeah, look, like, when, when you live in a, a free society,
1: well, somewhat free society as we do, it's easy to get disinformation out. In a totalitarian state, it's actually hard to get truthful information out because they control the outlets. And I, I, I do think I, I think that is, a I congratulate McDonald's. All right, there's 800 McDonald's there. I, I mean, I don't think they had a choice, but at, at least they, they, did it. And it's all supplied by Russians employed there. Russians eat there. It's, a, it's nine percent. Of their revenue, 3% of their profits. They're all locally sourced. So, it's potatoes come from Russia, the beef comes from Russia, the buns come from Russia, and they'll stop. And that's going to stop everywhere. Anybody operating in Russia, stop now. And some, but I think Starbucks has a plausible excuse is they don't own their outlets. But they're saying they're going to take all the profit they make and give it to Ukrainian refugees. I, I have no idea, but that's what they say. I, I, I hope they're right. I'll choose to believe them until proved otherwise. But anybody that is operating in any way, shape, or form in Russia, that, that's how you get the message. You know, they, they canceled all the international flights. Boom. I travel internationally a lot. You know what these airports are all these days? They're giant shopping malls. I, I bet you the international terminal. Think of how many people it takes to do international flights. Somebody's got the flight. You got to service it. You got to have baggage handlers. You got to buy fuel. You got to have gate attendants. You got to have cleaners. You've you got to have people at the airport. You run through this. All of these duty free shops. If you, they they're just miles and miles of them in every international airport. All those people are laid off, and they go back home. Yeah. And, you know, it, it keep keep squeezing, keep squeezing, keep squeezing, keep bringing heat, bring heat, bring heat. Uh, it, it it hasn't worked in North Korea. Okay, but I don't know if the average Russian is prepared to live like the average North
0: Korean. Well, and North know. Korea hasn't been part of the global economy, and Russia has, so it's... Right, and a- they
1: made a lot of money getting in it, and, and now right. they, they're getting they're in trouble in entanglements. But if you just stop and think of how many people work on the Moscow to JFK flight or the Moscow to, to Tokyo flight. It's a lot. And a lot of, it supports a lot of people. If you think of a McDonald's, don't just think of this giant corporation. Think of all the people that work at it, clean it, that, the source the people that make this stuff. They're all done. So if, I, if I'm a Russian potato grower, I, I lost
0: a big market for my potatoes. Absolutely. Well, keep those questions coming in. They are so good. Uh, we'll get to as many as we can, and we'll try to combine them when we can. Hey, now for the outrage of the week. Where there are so many, James, it's hard. You know, I've been thinking for a while that Texas is the worst governed state in the union. Uh, I mean, that was fortified last week when the attorney general, Texas attorney general, under indictment, state indictment, local indictment, and a federal criminal investigation with some of his former aides as the key witnesses, he finished a solid first in last week's primary. But, you know, I think that Florida and Governor DeSantis are really giving them a, a, a real run for their money. Uh, I mean, this week they are banning any schools from teaching gender identity for young students. They're on the verge of passing a racially discriminatory, gerrymandering new congressional map. They're going to tell colleges that they can't talk about race uh, under the BS of the critical race theory. And, you know, both Texas and Florida have been abysmal failures on covid with more incidents per capita and far more deaths per capita than California, which they deride as a failed liberal semi-socialist state. So as a jump ball, James, let's let our our audience weigh in. Which is the worst governed state, Texas or California? Excuse me, (laughs) Texas or Florida?
1: I I have a different contest. One of the remarkable things is the children of some of these crazy people – Start to speak out. This guy, uh, Guy Refit, I guess his name is, who just was the first got convicted by a jury trial, his son was the one that reported him. But, but there's a, a case, and, and I generally shy away from, can you believe how crazy these people are? All right, this one I can't. A Republican nominee for the State House of Representatives in Kent County, which is Grand Rapids, District 74. Of, of course, he's... Pro Putin, he's the election was stolen and, and everything else, and he said that he, he, in response to the question, he said, "Look, I, t- I have three daughters. I always tell them, you know, if you're gonna if if, it's an, if you're gonna get raped, just lay back and enjoy, enjoy." So his whatever, okay, his daughter said, that, "Don't vote for my dad," right, and. His answer was, a lot of students when they go off to these liberal university campuses like the University of Colorado, the University of Texas at Austin, she went to the University of Colorado in in Boulder. You know, they just get kind of sucked into this Marxist-Communist ideology that she and I just don't see eye when it comes to the whole socialism-Communism-Marxist philosophy, he said. And... She's a and she said Reagan said her big thing is to do is systemic racism is going outside She's a big believer in that, he continued. The only place I really see systemic racism would be in the abortion clinic cause when I've seen a target to African-American community. All right. I'm just saying these people are so crazy, their own children are coming out of the woodwork. And and he brags that he tells his daughter that to lay back and enjoy it when you're getting raped. And she said something, then he attacks the University of Colorado. I I mean, I I, I can't get my mom right. I really really can't. But uh, they they are, I think, Ted Cruz's daughter's even spoken up. You know, these people don't act like it, but man, they got children. They got children. And But, oh, God. would You you imagine if you were Bill Barr's kid, how embarrassed you'd be? I mean... I I just, I I just don't it, man, my children would like they wouldn't even they wouldn't get within a hundred miles of me if I said something like that. And these people have no 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 embarrassment. I, I mean it, it, it's really stunning. It is, it really is. Uh... All right, you go all you are you children of these right-wing idiots? think for yourself.
0: Yeah, but keep speaking out. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, the Democracy in Danger podcast, Blinkist, and Magic Spoon in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning.